Colossians 3, we'll just read a couple of verses, beginning in verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This was an important subject to the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. In fact, he wrote something almost identical to another church in Ephesus. To them he wrote this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We don't think of Paul, the apostle, as a music guy. He wasn't a prolific songwriter like David. As far as we know, he didn't play the harp or the piano or the guitar. But he was very much concerned about music and especially about singing in the church. He wrote two different letters to two different churches in two different cities and said almost an identical thing that we ought to teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so this morning I want us to think about that, about being a singing church. Let's pray. Father, we are so privileged to be able to have your word here in front of us. And we have an opportunity. Every single person here could have a Bible with them and could have a Bible at home, and it's just a privilege that we have that much of the world does not have in our own language that we can easily understand, and we're grateful for that. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. This is the method that we have to hear from you. And today, Lord, I just pray that you would open our minds to the truth, our hearts, that you would keep distractions away and help us to focus on what you have for us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Where does this music come from? This music that we're instructed to teach and to admonish one another with. We might say that it comes from a hymn book or from a Sunday school class or a Sunday school teacher or from a CD or from a radio station. Where does this music come from? Hold your place here and and turn back to the Psalms. Whenever we think of music in the Bible, we rightly think first of the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 40 and verse number 3. Let's read the the first three verses because the first two are so good. I don't want to miss this. And I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. There's that rock that Jason was talking about this morning in Sunday school and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Why does God put music in our mouths? That's what the psalmist said. There was a song that God put in my mouth. Why does he do that? It isn't so that we can obviously lock our lips and keep it to ourselves. In fact, we have two purposes for this music in this verse. The first purpose is that it goes back to him. He hath put a a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. So 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 the song that he puts in our mouth is designed to go right back to him. 
in praise and worship to him because he's worthy of that. And secondly is to bless others. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And you may be thinking, well, when I sing, it definitely puts fear into people. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. This is a reverence. It's a respect for who God is. It's an honor. And and we understand that David, the psalmist, was a musician. We understand that. He was a great songwriter, the greatest songwriter of all time. He would sit and play his harp and sing while he watched his father's sheep. He was gifted musically. We all would agree with that. But we're not all musicians, are we? We're not all singers. We're not all players of instruments. And and you've probably heard somebody say, when asked to sing something, oh, I don't sing. Have you ever heard somebody said that? Or maybe you've said it yourself. And what we mean is, not that we don't sing, but that we don't sing publicly. That our singing, perhaps, is not meant for public consumption. Oh, I sing, but I don't actually sing. You don't want me to sing, believe me. But what we're going to see today is that the words in Scripture about music and about singing are not only for musicians. They're not only for songwriters and harp players, but they're for all of God's people, for all of God's churches. So where does the music come from? It comes from God. And praise really is brought about by revelation. Revelation is something that's revealed to us, something that we learn to be true. Hearing news, hearing good news brings about thankfulness and praise. Forgive me for being a little too personal here, but in our home right now, we're in the process of trying to eliminate or at least minimize the use of diapers. And when I came home, Earlier this week, I received news that Wesley, my son, had deposited, well, you understand what happened, and I praised him for it. I was thankful for it. I was excited about it. I was excited about what it meant for our pocketbook in the future because, as you know, if you have kids, diapers are not cheap. It was good news. It was a good revelation to me. Whenever you hear that somebody gets a new house or gets a car or one of your friends has an engagement ring, they're getting married, your team wins the game, this revelation causes us to be excited and to be thankful. Our worship to God comes as a direct response to revelation from God. And the greatest revelation in history is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means Good news. Good news. And the greatest news in all of history is that God became a man and dwelt among us. This is how the Apostle John said it. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And though Jesus, who is God, lived on the earth and never did anything wrong, never sinned one time in his existence, he suffered more than any human being has ever suffered. And he loved us, he loved the world so much that he willingly laid down his life to pay a debt that none of us could ever afford, a debt of sin that we all owed, that we could not afford to pay, your sins and my sins included. And the penalty for that non-payment of that debt was an eternity in the lake of fire, eternity in torment and suffering. 
And we could never pay that. And so that's where we were doomed to live forever and ever. But we received some good news. And that's that Jesus Christ gave up his own life, shed his own perfect blood, took the sins of the entire world, all of humanity, upon himself, that we might be saved, be forgiven, and spend eternity with him in heaven. That's good news. That's the gospel. And it's that revelation, more than anything else in the world, that compels us to praise. It compels us to worship. It compels us to sing. God put a song in our mouths when he revealed the gospel to us. And so if we truly understand and believe what God has done for us, then we'll be compelled to sing. You can't help but get excited about good news when you really believe that good news. So we worship the one who has blessed us so much. We sing. But we don't just sing. We sing together. Back to Colossians Chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul, who was an apostle, was writing to a group of people, a church in the city of Colossae, and he said to them that you're to sing and you're to sing together. And not just sing any song we want to sing, not the top ten billboard songs, but we're to song, sing specific songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're not just to sing them privately, we're to sing them corporately, together, out loud. In the assembly of the saints, when we meet together like we have this morning, we are all to sing together. And there are various reasons why we sing. We looked at one from Psalm 40. So that because many would hear and fear and trust in the Lord. That's one reason. It's to be a witness to others. We're given another reason here. Specifically, to teach and to instruct. Now hopefully when you go to church, at least a part of you is thinking about learning something. When you go to Sunday school... In the earlier hour, hopefully, when the, when, the, when the teacher stands up and opens the Bible, in your mind, at some point you're thinking, I hope to learn something today. When the, when the preacher comes up to preach and stands and he opens his Bible, hopefully you're thinking, there's something that I ought to learn from today. We come, learning is a part of what we do. But the teaching doesn't just come through the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. It comes through the singing of the word as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ, of course, is the Bible. It's God's word. And this is not the only time that Paul would write about the importance of knowing and hiding God's word in our hearts. And obviously, the better that we know the one who knows everything, the better off we're going to be. But here it says that the word ought to dwell in us. And the word dwell indicates that it's not just to be a guest who is passing by. Who, who, who we, we, we read the Bible in the morning, but by the evening it's, it's gone. Or we, we listen to a sermon and it enters into our ear, but just as quickly as it entered in, it's, it's passed out. That's a, that's a, a guest might come by your house and they might spend the evening, but they're gone the next day. But th- that's not what we're talking about here. The word of Christ is to dwell in us. That is to live in us. That is to unpack the bags and stay a while. It's to take permanent residence. It's to be with us all the time. In every conversation, the word of Christ is to be dwelling in us. When we sit down to a meal with our family, 
the word of Christ is to be dwelling in us. When we lie down and go to sleep in the evening, we go to bed with the God's word living within us. When we wake up in the morning, it's there with us. It's, it's, it's a part of our lives. It dwells with us. It's, it's a part of us. And it, and it doesn't just dwell with us, but it, it should dwell in you richly. So we don't just want a little bit of his word in us, but we want it in us richly. That word means to be overflowing, to be abundant. We're just coming out of a holiday that involves a lot of eating. And I would venture to say that probably at some point during one of those meals, you, you, you took a slice of pie or of, of cake, and after you took a bite of it, you said, wow, that was rich. You ever said that? That means it's not lacking in sweetness. You're not saying, uh, I could use a little more sugar, I think, in that. No, when you say it's rich, it means it's got a lot of something. And that's the way the word of God is to dwell in us, richly, abundantly. There's more in there than we can even handle. It's in great supply. So that whenever we have a need in life of some truth from Scripture, we don't have to go mining for it and digging for it and say, I know that one time I heard a verse, and I know one time the preacher said something about this. Where was that? No, we don't have to go searching for it. And rather than saying, which, or, 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 or what's the verse that I could use, we're going to say something like, I have so many Scriptures that are coming to my mind right now. Which one do I want to use? The Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. It's, it's thick in our minds. That's the way that it's supposed to dwell. How do we do that? How do we get God's word in us richly? Well, the way that's suggested here by the Apostle Paul is through music. Singing is important. It's a way for us to learn and even to teach other people. Every time we stand together and we sing these songs of truth, we're driving the truths of Scripture deeper into one another. Paul's writing about getting God's word inside of us. And what better way to do that than through music? If we want children to learn something, what do we do? We set it to music. There are verses in my mind, and this would be the same for many of you if you grew up in church, that the only reason that you know them is because you learned it to a tune when you were a child. Lots of those. When we learn the books, the names of the books of the Bible, my teachers, I'm thankful they put it to music, and I learned it. When we learn the president's names, we we put it to music. When we want to learn something, we put it to music, and it helps it to stick. Music is sticky, isn't it? We remember the things that are set to music. And we have God's word with us. We've already talked about that, and it's a great blessing that we have it. But what music helps it to do is to go from here to here and ultimately to here. We want to get that music dwelling in us, not outside of us, but dwelling in us. In us, and we can do that through music. Music is important. And music can teach us not just by what we sing, but also music teaches by how we sing. If somebody were to walk into the auditorium this morning into our service, somebody who was not a regular attender, someone who perhaps was questioning God, questioning their faith struggling in life, if someone like that were to walk in and they came in and they, deserve, they observed the, uh, uh, the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ singing, what would, what would the way that we sing, not even the words that we sing, but the way that we sing, say to them about, our, about the reality of God in our own life? We're all passionate people, and we're all passionate about different things. Some of us get excited about sports, and some about hunting or fishing, and some about cooking, and some about reading, and some about 
health and fitness. We're all passionate people, and yet we have varying interests. But there's one thing that ought to bring the passion out of all of us, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the truths contained in the word of God. We have to be passionate about that. So what does our singing reveal about us? What does your singing reveal about you? How we sing, in many ways, reveals as much about us as what we sing. Children are learning from the way that you sing. Even the people that stand around you are learning. They're learning something from the way that you sing. And you may not like that, but we're teaching one another in everything that we do, and that includes our singing. I'm thankful for people that love to sing. And I have no doubt that in our church, the the loudest volume comes from those under, under 18 years old. And I love it. I love hearing our young people sing. It's a great excitement to hear our young people sing. But what about the rest of us? What is, our, what is our singing teaching others around us? It should go without saying that if music is such a strong and great teacher, then what we sing is of great importance. Just as we can put good lyrics to music for our children to do things like clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere, and in an effort to help them to do the things that they're supposed to do, music teaches And Paul recognized that. I don't know that he was a musician, but he recognized the importance of music in teaching. And our music, especially in the context of the local church, should be full of doctrine. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be deep. Theologically, it has to be deep and hard to be understood. But it should be reinforcing, at the very least, the things that we've learned to be true from the Scripture. It's not that it has to be some new doctrine, but it should remind us of the things that we need to be reminded about. Music is not the only teacher in life. Those of you that go to school, you have teachers. When you turn on talk radio, someone is instructing you. You may not think of it that way, but they are. When you sit on your couch and flip on the television, you're learning some things. There are some things going into your mind. There are teachers. Culture is a powerful teacher. And I don't have to tell you this, but... What culture teaches is not always good. And so godly music helps to counteract some of the ungodly teaching that we can't help but be exposed to on a daily basis. For example, Scripture teaches that we're all sinful beings. There's none good. And yet culture is telling us that we're all basically good people. Culture is very loud. And singing words and lyrics that help to counteract that culture is very, very important. Culture teaches that you should follow your heart, follow the voice inside of you. It won't lead you astray. We're bombarded with that in movies and and, and even music and, and just in people and coworkers. We're bombarded with that theology. And so it's important that throughout the week we carry words with us like this. Hitherto my Lord hath led. Today he guides each step I tread. And soon in heaven it will be said, Jesus led me all the way. The world system preaches evolution, that we're all here by chance, by some random explosion. And I want my children to walk through the world saying, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Singing the 
Songs that we sing on Sunday carry that truth with us into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So how do we make sure that the music we sing is teaching us correctly? Just being in in church and around good music is helpful. It's helpful. But I think there's more that we can do to be intentional about learning. Each member of the congregation should be singing. But not just singing. We ought to be thinking as well. Thinking. We can do both. We can think while we sing. What is this song saying? What does that mean? That phrase that I just read, the one that's coming up next, what does that mean? We're to do that during preaching. In Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were commended when the Apostle Paul preached there in Berea because after he preached, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that he said were so. They were commended for that. And we ought to be doing the same with the songs that we sing. We ought to be thinking about them and saying, what does that mean? Even comparing with scripture. Reading the words, but not just reading the words, but singing the words. And not just singing the words, but thinking about the things that we're Singing and asking questions when we don't understand something. What is that song saying? Focusing on the truth. Even as you're singing, thanking God for what he's teaching you through the truth. When you, when you sing that, that, that God has created everything, say thank you to God for creating everything. Say thank you for the creation. When we sing about the cross, thank God. As you're singing, thank God for the cross. Think about it as you sing. Be intentional about learning the words that we sing so that you can take them with you. Some of our memories are better than others. Some of you remember everything. You can sing a song once and you you know it. Many of us are not that way. Be intentional about learning these songs. And don't just question the words of the song, but question yourself as well. Does your life line up with the words that you're singing? When you say the words, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, Ask yourself, is that really true? The words that I'm singing, does my life line up with that? And if it doesn't, don't stop singing, but confess and repent of the sin so that you can sing the words truthfully and honestly. Music in the church, specifically congregational music, is not just filler. It's not entertainment. The purpose is not so that people can display how well they can sing and how well they can hit the right notes. It's not about that. It's to worship. It's to teach. It's to edify one another. Music and singing are vitally important. I've heard it said many times, and perhaps you have as well, that the primary purpose of music is to prepare the hearts for the message that will be preached. And believe me, I understand and I I believe in the supremacy of preaching. Paul said to Titus that God manifested his word through preaching. That makes preaching pretty important. God revealed his word to us through preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching is mandatory, but singing is more than just an appetizer. It's not just something that we include in the beginning to get everybody time to get in and get in their place. No, singing is a vital part of worship. I hope none of us would ever say or even think this. It's okay if we're late. We'll get there in time for the preaching. It's okay if we're a few minutes late, as long as we're there by the time the preaching starts, as though the singing is somehow unimportant. The singing is not unimportant. The music is not unimportant. God is to be worshipped and honored with our lips, and there's no better time than during the corporate singing of his church. 
And if that's our attitude, then we're missing out on one of God's primary intended purposes of teaching us and us to teach others. Singing isn't optional. And just like any other command in Scripture, the requirement for obedience here isn't predicated on our desire to sing, our love to sing, our love for music, or the mood we're in. We're just to sing. So what about when you don't feel like singing? Sometimes we may not feel like singing. Sometimes you just don't want to sing. You've heard the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow, and the the words go like this, I sing because I'm happy. Well, what if you came in today and you were very much unhappy? Does that excuse us from singing because the song said, I sing because I'm happy and I'm not happy? What if family life for you isn't something to be happy about? What if your health or the health or someone that you care about is burdening you and you're just not very happy right now? Or or your job situation is less than ideal? What about that? Do we still have to sing? Well, there's good news for you. The songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, is characterized largely by things other than happiness. There's a lot of struggles in the book of Psalms. There's a lot of pain. There's heartache, anger, disappointment, laments. Lots of emotion in the book of Psalms. And sadness should not keep us from singing, but it might change the song that we sing sometimes. Our emotions may change the songs that we sing. Sometimes we need to lament to God. Ecclesiastes said there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And maybe it would be wise to expand our song selection to include songs that have a little sadness in them, more psalm-like. Here's one that we sing sometimes. Be still, my soul, when when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice, who ruled them while he dwelt below. I wonder if it's possible that sometimes we might have people, young people perhaps, who go through great struggles, great struggles, great disappointments and difficulties, but they've never been taught, they've never learned, they've never understood that there are songs that reach us in those moments as well. There are psalms that reach us in those moments as well that could be a great help to them in their time. And instead of just saying, don't worry, be happy, turn that frown upside down. There are actually some songs given to us in our Bible that speak of that disappointment and pain that we go through from time to time. I want us to read the 56th Psalm together. David wrote this kind of music when he was going through challenging times. He didn't just write in his journal when everything was going well. He was very open and vulnerable with us. I'm thankful for it. This is the song of a man who has felt struggles and difficulties. Psalm 56, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. 
In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Can you hear the battle that's going on within him? They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wonderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word, and the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. This was the song of a struggling, distraught man who found relief in God. That's a message, that, that's a song that we need to teach, because people are struggling. We can sing because we're happy, but we need not only sing when we're happy. You won't convince me that the night that Paul and Silas spent in that Philippian jail was one of the highlights of their ministry. Paul had been stripped of his clothes, beaten, bloodied, dragged across the city and into this jail. And what do we find him doing at midnight but singing praise to God? Loudly enough that the people around him could hear, by the way. Our circumstances should not determine our song. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus sung. He didn't sing because he was happy. The thousands who had once followed him shrunk to just a few. He would soon be betrayed by a man he had poured his life into. He would be raised up on a cross and killed for sins that he didn't commit. And yet, Jesus sung a song, a hymn, with his disciples. Singing is vital to the disciple of Christ. Saved people are singing people. It's one thing to read something in a book or hear the preacher say it, but to declare those words with our own voices is something different altogether. The preacher can stand up and he can say we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. But when we, with our own voices, say, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? There's something, something humbling about calling yourself a worm, isn't there? It's one thing when he says it, but when we sing those words ourselves, it makes such a difference. Certainly, there are times when we just don't feel like singing. There are times when Satan convinces us that we shouldn't sing, that we can't sing. You've sinned too much. You've crossed the line. God was not going to hear you anyway. You're a hypocrite if you sing now. Satan convinces us of this. But perhaps there are times like that when more than any other time, we need to sing. A 19th century songwriter was thinking about that, I'm sure, when she wrote these words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. 
Satan will tempt us to despair. He'll, he'll, he'll reveal that guilt within us and tell us you shouldn't sing. But God wants us to sing. God wants us to be a singing church. As you all know, Pastor Smith is in Africa for a few weeks, and he sent me a video a couple of days ago, and I wanted to show it to you because it'll be an encouragement to you. It's a group of men there that are singing a song that we love. Amazing love, how can it be? And we're going to watch that video. Amazing love. It's, it's God's amazing love that compels us to sing, compels us to worship. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? It compels us to sing. It compels us to praise. It compels us to worship him. Whether we feel like it or not, he's worthy of our praise. And whether we believe that we're musically gifted or not, he's still worthy of our worship and our praise. He's worthy. He's worthy of it in our homes. He's worthy of it in our cars. He's worthy of it privately when no one else is around. But he's worthy of it and demands it corporately, together, as a church, out loud. We learn through music. We learn from the words that we sing, we learn from the words that we hear, and we learn from the way those around us sing as well. Your singing is teaching something. It's sending a message to children, to adults, to seasoned Christians, to those that are new in the church. It's teaching something. God deserves our best. It's not a competition It's not a talent show. We come together and we sing the songs that drive the word of God deeper inside of us, that cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Let's be a singing church. Let's pray.